Mackerel Podcast number 328 for November 14th, 2012. Hi, welcome to another Mackerel Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. A year has passed since Apple launched its $25 per year music service, iTunes Match. And who better to talk about how the year's gone and what might lie ahead than our own Ask the iTunes guy, Kirk McElhern, and our just-as-own, hey, this guy knows a lot about iOS, Dan Morin. Let's get to it. iTunes Match has reached its first anniversary, and to mark the occasion, I'm joined by senior contributor Kirk McElhern. Hi, Chris. And senior editor Dan Morin. Hello, Chris. So, Kirk, I'm going to start with you because you're the Ask the iTunes guy. So why don't you sum up what iTunes Match is? Well, the basic idea of iTunes Match is that you don't need to store your music on a specific computer or on a specific iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch. You take your music library that's on your Mac or your PC, and iTunes either matches your songs with songs and tracks that are in the iTunes store, or it uploads the ones that aren't there. Once you've done that, you can get access to, these, to this music from a number of devices, in, in a computer, an iOS device, or an Apple TV. Um, you can download the music, you can stream it, and it means that instead of duplicating your music across a number of devices, you only need it in one place, and you can get it anywhere. Of course, there are some limits because if you're streaming it to your iPhone, you're going to hit your data cap pretty quickly. Um, and if you have a large library like some of us do, then you can't put the library into iTunes Match. So it's not perfect, but it's an interesting idea to totally dematerialize the location of your music library. Okay. So since it's been launched, have there been any new features introduced or are we a year in getting the same features the service launched with? We've got the same features. The only possible changes are that Apple may have tweaked the algorithm that they use for matching songs. Um, If they did, they haven't publicized it. Matching has been a, a, a pretty much a hit or miss thing since the beginning with a number of albums where Out of a dozen songs, you might match 10 of them, um, or some albums that don't match at all that are in the iTunes store. But other than that, nothing's changed since the very beginning. Now, we're on the cusp of the launch of iTunes 11, and you could bet that Apple's going to be including some changes to iTunes Match. Okay. Now, Dan, you're the iOS guy. So with iOS 5, iTunes Match was introduced, and uh, and then iOS 6 came out. So has iTunes Match changed between the two iOS versions? Yeah, it's changed a little bit. And, and like Kirk says, a lot of the stuff that happens, Apple doesn't necessarily publicize. The biggest change that we saw in iOS 6 was previously in iOS 5, you would see these little cloud icons with little arrows on them next to all of your tracks in your in your iOS's music library. Um, and that meant you could, there was a differentiation between whether you stream a track or download it. Now, playing a track automatically downloaded, basically the idea being, again, to sort of avoid you running too, into too much of a data cap, it would download the song 
song the first time it's it, it played it and then if you tried to play it repeatedly then at least it would have a locally cached copy uh now it's gotten rid of that distinction in ios 6 but only as far as i can tell only as far as the users are concerned um it's still doing that in the background and while you do still have the ability to control things based on say downloading via a playlist or an album or an artist um, you can't download or delete individual tracks you used to be able to swipe on a song and delete it and that would remove the cache copy now there's a problem here occasionally which is that i ran into when i first updated to ios 6 which is that i had a locally cached music file that was corrupted so it would play the first 10 seconds and then it would go to the next track because it's somehow it had screwed up and not downloaded the entire thing but there was no easy way to remove that song um without resyncing all my music so that was fun um but other than that, um, I've found in my own anecdotal experience using iOS 6 that I think they have improved the service um, in terms of the ability to play back songs. I noticed far less uh, stuttering or or just sort of pausing. I used to have this, this constant problem with iOS 5 where I would hit it and it would sit there you know, trying to play a song, but it would stay at zero and nothing would happen. Now I have to force quit the music app and relaunch it and all this stuff. I've noticed far less of that in iOS 6. So it seems like they have uh, improved the methodology for playing back songs from online. Um, but they've taken a little bit more out of the control of the user, which is an Apple traditional way of doing What do you think? I mean, we're going to speculate here because Apple hasn't told us, but what do you think the idea is that we're no longer... A- allowed to download a single track but instead have to grab a playlist or an album or an artist's complete catalog i i think there's two things at work here and they're both very traditional apple uh, methodologies one is simplifying things you used to have all these buttons next to every single song and i think apple just from an aesthetic standpoint i don't think apple liked the way that that looked um, they they would rather and then that, that sort of leads into the second point, which is they would rather just have users not have to differentiate between, well, is this song on my device or in the cloud? They're just saying it's just your music. Just play it. Don't worry about where it is. Uh, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of the fusion drive that they, Apple introduced on its recent Macs, which is like differentiating between solid state storage and hard drive storage. No, it's just one drive. The operating system takes care of where everything is. You don't have to worry about it. So that's, I think, an admirable idea in some pro- in some sort of edge cases. Obviously, like the other problem I ran into with the corrupted song, it doesn't always work to our favor because we've lost the ability to to sort of get into the guts of the thing. But for the most part, it does yeah, seem to work. You know, well. given the way people consume music, and I think a lot of people just want one song, like, oh, that's my favorite song. I want that right now. Doesn't this seem goofy to you? I mean, it, it seems like a different kind of model for consuming data. Well, I don't know. I mean, like if you if you tap on the song in your music library, it plays back and it's downloaded. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's cached on your device. So, I mean, you're still getting the end result of having that song. Um, it doesn't really prevent you from doing anything that you could do before. I mean, unless you wanted to then remove that song from your device. Um, and Apple's never really let you hands-on manage your iTunes library or your iOS music library, I guess I should say. Um, you know, in the way that you can delete photos and add photos to your photo library on your phone, you can't really do the same with music because it's been locked down to this whole iTunes paradigm. Um, and so I'm interested, like, as Kirk was saying, to see if that situation is going to change with iTunes 11, although I don't know if they remember if they use that number or not, but the next major rehaul or re, uh, reversion of uh, uh, iTunes in which they seem to be focusing much more on this, your music is stored somewhere and you can just play it back. You've already bought it, so you don't have to necessarily worry about file okay. management. Um, I want to go around the virtual table 
and ask you guys how you think it's working. They've had a year to work on this thing now. So are there any glitches that were there at the beginning that have disappeared? Have they introduced new glitches? Uh, I know, Kirk, that you have a piece that's published today on Macworld that basically runs down a long list of things that could be better. So um, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I looked at, well, the, the introduction is basically how it works and what it's supposed to do. And then I looked at the problems, and there are a lot of problems. Um, if I had a 10,000-word article to write, I could have filled it up with more problems. Um, I limited it to the half a dozen most common problems, and I mentioned the first one earlier about songs not matching. Um this is particularly annoying because Apple touted iTunes Match from the beginning as a way to upgrade your lower quality songs. So if you have 128 kilobit MP3s, you get to upgrade them to 256 kilobit AAC files. So let's say you take an album that's got 10 songs on it and iTunes Match finds six or eight of them and uploads the others. You've got a difference in quality. Now, you know, we've I think we've discussed this on previous podcasts. The quality is in the ears of the beholder. It depends on your your situation, your earbuds, your headphones, etc. But it is a little bit annoying. Um, in my article, I put a screenshot of one album from my iTunes Match library. It's um, Bob Dylan MTV Unplugged, an album that I purchased from the iTunes Store. Um, out of twelve tracks, nine of them are marked as purchased because iTunes Match automatically recognizes all of your purchases. Two of them are marked as matched, and one was uploaded. Well, I bought all of these from the iTunes store. It's annoying. It's, you know, the tracks were in 256K in this case, and I get them back in 256K, but it would make a lot more sense if everything matched correctly. The biggest problem for me with iTunes Match is the limit of 25,000 songs. Now, my iTunes library currently has about 80,000 tracks. So I am, as I like to say, nebula non grata as far as iTunes Match is concerned, and I had to create a library on my laptop to be able to use it. Amazon's Cloud Player premium service has a similar thing to iTunes Match, and they let you put 250,000 tracks. Now, Apple has never been the ones to keep up with the storage space and all that of others, but I think that even though... People with larger libraries like me are a subset of iTunes users. We're the ones that really push iTunes to the limits, and I don't think there should be that sort of a limit um, in the number of tracks. Make it 50,000 or make it 10 bucks more a year for another 25,000 tracks or something like that if they're worried about people using too much space on their servers. Okay. Dan, let's go back to you. Well, I, I I don't have that problem. I'm on the other end of the spectrum from Kirk. I've got uh, about I think I'm looking at my library now about 4,300 songs. So I am I'm not as much of a music uh, collector. So iTunes Match works perfectly for me because I am unlikely to ever hit that 25,000 mode. Um, I agree though that I mean you know doesn't mean those people shouldn't be served. Obviously, I think that that the idea that Apple could probably I mean given that they this is sort of talking about storage space and cloud storage and stuff like that, I think Apple would be well served by just raising that limit, especially. If if Amazon's offering ten times as many as much storage, or just to you know even make it unlimited at a certain point, I mean I think there are probably a, a few people who who will run into that if they you know would suddenly start uploading a million tracks or whatever like that. But I think most people are probably going to be uh, you know able to be handled by the infrastructure. Um, in my use, I also find like Kirk that I, I just look in about thirty percent of my library doesn't match. Um, a lot of that stuff is stuff. 
um, acquired from other sources for me. I mean, that's, it's, you know, stuff that I ripped from CDs for the most part or stuff that I downloaded. Um, you know, somebody made an album for free on the internet, um, uh, and I downloaded it and, you know, it's not in the, in the store cause it's by an independent musician or something like that. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's just never going to be matched probably. Um, but there are, there are things in there that definitely, you know, have this bizarre, uh, don't seem to quite register. I mean, for me, you know, I own the entire, uh, you know, discography of the Beatles, and I still have probably I don't know, maybe a hundred songs in here that are still uploaded instead of matched, despite the fact that we know the entire Beatles catalog is on iTunes. Um, and so, you know, there's work to be done still. I think from the the matching algorithm, and, and like Kirk says, that's that's the biggest part of what you run into because of the way that iTunes Match was was uh, promoted and the way that it works. Um, in general usage, I, I find it to be pretty good. Like I was saying, I think the iOS playback has improved a lot, and that's a that's a big part of what I use it for. Um, I do notice sometimes that there are some connection issues, especially on my Macs, where it's just like you know you get that little like spinning cloud icon, um, and it just it it can't connect to the server or something like that. This is this is the problem that you run into with any potential network services. You know, the network is hardly uninterruptible. Um, I still have a local, you know, library on my Mac Mini that has all my iTunes music locally downloaded on it, um, which is, you know, just there in case of backups. And I have I've run into a couple other really weird edge cases. I think Kirk, I talked to you about this maybe, uh, you know, almost a year ago, not long after iTunes Match came out. I ended up with one particular song that, for some reason, the downloaded version of it is is terrible quality. I, I can't understand this. I, I had it's a song I bought from iTunes. It sounded perfectly fine, and then when it matched, it matched with a song that was like really scratchy and low bit rate, and it sounded terrible. And I tried downloading that copy from the store, and it sounded awful. But I have the original file I downloaded from Apple, and it sounds fine. And totally perplexing. Can't figure out for the life of me. Exact same song, exact same album, um, and so little. There are some glitches in there every once in a while where it's just. Uh, you can't quite figure out what's going on behind the scenes. And, and this is that downside to the the kind of layer that Apple's trying to put in there to uh, abstract things from the consumer is that sometimes things go wrong and there's there's no way to fix them because it just doesn't make any sense. Dan, I remember when you sent me that file and the sound quality was – it sounded like a 64 or a 32K file. Um, it sounded like it was a record yeah. <laughs> listening to or something. You know. But there, there have been cylinder. a number of problems with the quality of downloaded files for, for a few months – um, in in the last summer, all of a sudden, I was getting all these emails from people, and and this happened to me too, who were downloading files, um, either purchased files or downloads through iTunes Match, and the files were truncated. So let's say in a four minute song, you'd get music for two minutes, and the rest of the file would be empty, but all the 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 file had the the file was the right size of the song, the data was there, but for some reason it couldn't play. Um, now, this seems to have resolved because I haven't been hearing about it too much, but a lot of people were getting this for a while, and one of the things is they may not discover it right away if they download a bunch of their stuff from iTunes Match onto a computer or an iPhone or something. They may not come across it until they get around – until these songs come up in shuffle. Right. So how are you guys faring with album artwork? Album artwork is a mess. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> in many cases, in many cases it doesn't download depending on the device. In some cases it downloads after you download the music. Um in some cases one thing that my son pointed out to me is that when he would change artwork on something on his Mac, the change wouldn't get uh the change wouldn't go to the music on his iPhone. So he'd have artwork on the iPhone that was different for the same song as the artwork on the Mac. And he figured out 
that if he deleted it um, from the iPhone back when he could, this would sometimes fix it. But since you can't delete it anymore, well, then you can't fix it that way anymore. Okay. Yeah, I, I've noticed as well that I, I don't. I find it extremely inconsistent, um, and it's it's very frustrating because so much of Apple's uh, interface is designed around album artwork, which I find kind of you know perplexing. I understand the, the sort of you know wanting to hold on to that, but it, it feels to me very inefficient. Um, and so, especially because I end up with all the you know generic album symbols on everything, and it's just kind of rolling my eyes about that. I, I to sort of you know uh, piggyback on that. I, I know that I think there are probably good things about Apple not just replacing your, you know, metadata um, willy nilly. I think a lot of people probably are, are gratified with that. But I would like the opportunity to do that because I have a lot of stuff that's just tagged badly um, because of it came from like CDs or something like that. And there was a point where you were pulling all this stuff from like third parties, right, like Grace Note and, and, and stuff like that. And so I, I ended up with stuff that's just sort of tagged incorrectly. And so it will splinter into two albums because there's a capital letter in one and not a capital letter in the other. And I really wish there was an option to have iTunes just be like, hey, just clean this up. Just fix this for me because it's not useful the way it is right now. Um, Dan, there is an option. If you select um, if you select a bunch of music in iTunes and let's see, you right-click and you choose Get Track Names, iTunes is going to query Gracenote again. And what generally happens with Gracenote is if the tags are really, really messed up, they get fixed over time. So you have a good chance of getting better tags if you do it sometime later, if you've got a real mess. But with iTunes Match, it's important that Apple doesn't change the tags because, uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. I have a huge collection of classical music, and I tag my music in my particular way. I don't use the tagging scheme that right. Apple uses on the iTunes store. So I wouldn't want that replaced. Um, one exception right, to right. this... No, no, I agree I agree with that. Sometimes there, sometimes there might be a case, but you're right. Yeah. One exception to this is the lyrics tag. If you've put lyrics into a track... Um, it's a crapshoot whether those lyrics will show up on the files you download from iTunes Match. Clearly, I should have just asked the iTunes guy <laughs> instead of lingering for years. And so, uh, is there any reasonable way to start over if you've if you've looked at your iTunes Match library and it really is a mess? That the tags are bad, the album artwork is no good. You've got matched tracks that aren't matching correctly. Can you just wipe the thing out and and try once again? You can. It's pretty complicated. You, you essentially have to delete everything in your library. Um, but when you do this, you choose to delete it from iTunes Match, but you don't delete the files. Then you re-add the files to your library, turn off iTunes Match, turn it back on and add the computer and let it start the process over. Now, this is something I did several times in the early days of iTunes Match, trying to figure if it would help match things better. Um, it didn't make much of a difference back then. If the matching algorithm has changed, then it's certainly possible um, that this is something worth trying, but it's fraught with risk and peril, and I'm not sure it's good for everyone to do. I, I wish there were a big do-over button on the iTunes match screen when you turn it on. Um, this would, of course, assume that a, a person's music library that's being matched is all the original songs, and not just the placeholders for songs that have been matched that they've removed from the library to save space or something right. like that. Okay, well, let's say that iTunes Match worked perfectly in its current implementation. What more would we want it to Well, I'd want more songs. Um, that would be obvious. I think Dan's suggestion to get things tagged a little better would be very interesting. 
um, if you could choose certain things to say, I'd like iTunes to propose tags, not just apply them without asking, but propose them. Um, I'd like to see a checkbox in the um, info window when you select tracks to not put them on iTunes Match. And I've, I've heard this actually from a lot of people. Um, you know, from my Ask the iTunes Guy column, I get hundreds of emails, and a lot of people are music producers or they have um, public domain music or loops or things like that in their library, and they don't want them matched. And, of course, with iTunes Match, it's an all-or-nothing thing. So you really can't choose what gets put up there. I think I think most of my wish list is is much more far fetched than than Kirk's because you know I really I would love to see them expand it for one thing beyond music, um, especially you know with things like books. But I don't think that's likely to happen anytime soon. Um, but beyond that, um, I think there's a lot of talk or rumors as there have been for many years that Apple might get interested in doing something that's more like a radio streaming service, which I could see it integrating into something like iTunes Match. If you you know if you're listening to music from a particular artist and you only have one album by them i could see apple being very interested in trying to sell you on another album by giving you some option to stream it but only in i don't know some limited fashion um i don't know if something like that's likely to happen but it's it seems something that might work well with itunes i think the service as it is you know aside from its glitches i think it works pretty well and it was an interesting uh orthogonal approach to the to what everybody else was doing with streaming uh you know in terms of letting people sort of amnesty as it were existing tracks in there i think it's a really compelling argument for you know doing away with some of the last vestiges of physical music for a lot of people how it how does that stack up as an alternative um and what other alternatives are there to itunes match well, that's really a question that you're going to have to answer because um, the Amazon Cloud Player, um, for, for those listening who don't know, I live in France. Um, the Amazon Cloud Player only came out in France a couple weeks ago. Um, I think it's still broken. So when you click on the link on the Amazon website to access it, it takes you to the U.S. site and says, of course, that I don't have anything because I can't buy from Amazon in the U.S. They're very strict about um, which territories they sell in. Um, over here, we don't have anything like that. Um, we have Cloud Player if it works. We have iTunes Match, but that's it. Well, what about something like a subscription service like Spotify? Yeah, we've got Spotify and we've got a couple of other things. There's something called Deezer, which is a French service um, that hasn't yet hit the States but should soon. I'm, you know, you're, you're the guy who really likes all the, the subscription services. I've been relatively skeptical for a number of reasons. You know, the, the, the content is hard to find. And particularly, I'd love to use that for classical music. Searching on Spotify for classical music is just painful. Um, there's no way of knowing what you've listened to. There's no, you know, last played, play counts and things like that. So if I've listened to a, a bunch of albums, I can't come back and find what they are unless I've made sure to put them in a playlist to say I've listened to them. It, it seems to me a, a process that's really designed for you know, pop music and, and nothing else. Whereas for me, I would want that for classical music and jazz, the, the kind of music where I really do want to explore the vastness of the catalog and not focus on just the latest hits. Right. Well, yeah, I do like subscription, but you're right. I belong to four different services, Rhapsody, Mog, RDO, and, and Spotify, and, uh, and none of them are, are really good for searching. And, and they don't have things like play counts where you can go, oh, I like this. They do have related artists, which is an interesting sort of Pandora-like way to find music, which I enjoy very much. But yeah, you're, it really is like going into an, an enormous record store and not having things cataloged. You're just basically 
you know, shuffling through bins and going, oh, look, this looks good. Let's put this thing on here. But you can't even shuffle through the bins, at least with Spotify, which I tried for a while. You can't just go to say, okay, here's all the new releases in classical or jazz or whatever genre interests you. You can't just say, um, I'm going to just choose a particular composer or a label. I mean, the... Spotify lets you search, but you have to know the tricky keywords to put in the search field, and they don't always work correctly. Um, there's no new release bin. There's no, you know, they put some stuff on the front page to get you interested, and these are, of course, the most popular things that they're pushing and that their investors want them to push. Um, but for anyone who's interested in the sort of deep catalog stuff, it's very hard to find. Yeah, some of the other services are better for that. Rhapsody is better. It does have news, uh, new releases and it has them by genre. So you can page through their stuff and they do have related artists. So you're, I, you're right. As popular as Spotify is, there are services that are that have deeper catalogs and have better ways of finding things, but they're still not perfect. I mean, the iTunes store really is the model for a lot of this stuff and nobody does it as well as, as they do. And if they just put a streaming service around the iTunes store, we would all be delighted, wouldn't we? Oh, Because you, you'd be able to keep playlists and I'm sure the playlist would increment correctly and you could rate things and you could organize the stuff the way you're used to. And as Dan said, you might not even make the distinction between something you own and, and something that you're streaming from the store. It would be just sort of automatic. You, you're listening to, I don't know, a Radiohead album and you want to listen to another one and it just comes up whether it's in your library or not. It would be perfect. I'd pay, I'd pay a hundred bucks a year. I'd pay maybe even more than that to have access to, to everything in the iTunes store. Well, it's a bit off topic, but why wouldn't Apple do this? I think the record well, labels... Well, I think their big question is the... Yeah, the record labels, is, as I was going to say, is the, is the big thing in terms of whether it's been shown that these streaming services actually do make money. And I mean, sure, from a, from a subscription standpoint, it, it does seem like upside because people are paying regardless of you know the music they consume, which means, yeah, okay, if you listen to all your music from a streaming service, you might not be buying things. But if you're one of the person, if you're a person who signs up thinking, oh, I'll listen to music, and then you only listen to a few things you know, every once in a while, then they're making money off you, right? So I, I think... The the only question is the the download model and the idea of you know Steve Jobs uh, is his famous you know people want to own their music I think that's so well established as a model that there's probably some recalcitrance on the part of the record companies to cut into that um, but at the same time I think they're getting pushed more and more towards that because people start to listen to you know music from these streaming services or i think i don't know i heard at some point i thought that youtube was strangely popular for for music these days it's become like where a lot of the, the younger folk listen to music because that's where they put up the music videos and stuff like that on there so i think they they want to be wary of running into the same problem they ran into with cds where people are changing the way they listen to the music and and the music industry is reacting instead of being proactive about it but um, I don't know. I, I, at this point, it's getting more and more to the point where you think that Apple wants to be able to offer sort of A to Z on that spectrum. So the big question is, for those who've subscribed in the past, is it worth resubscribing? I think so. I mean, I, I you know, if you've paid 25 bucks for the last year and you've been relatively happy with it, then there's no reason not to keep going. I, I plan on continuing my subscription because i've been pretty happy with itunes match for the for the most part it lets me do I, I really love the idea that you know i have now you know three computers in my house my mac mini's got you know the actual physical library on it but i have an air that i travel with and an imac that is my work machine 
and they all have my full iTunes library on them, but they don't have to worry about taking up the you know 20 gigs that would normally take up to store all that stuff. Um, and as well, gigs. I don't have to worry about syncing. Yeah, I know, I, I know I'm pathetic <laughs> by, by your guys' standards, but uh, look at the whippersnapper with his 20 gig library. Yeah, but, you know, especially then on things like iOS devices where 20 gigs is now a pretty big chunk, right? If you've only got like a 32 gig iPhone, if you've got a 16 gig, you're already worrying about what can I put on, what can I not put on. But having uh, the ability to access my entire library no matter where i go it just seems like kind of a no-brainer to me uh, i think i think we need to consider two different aspects of itunes match um itunes match at launch and itunes match at renewal at launch apple was touting the ability to upgrade your music and i'm pretty sure that anyone who had music they wanted to upgrade to get you know these higher quality um songs did so the first year so the question now for the renewal um people who bought it for the for the upgrade thing won't may not renew it if they're really not happy with the service on the other hand, you know what you just said, Dan, is exactly what iTunes Match is designed for. You've got multiple devices. You don't want to have your library, you know, in more than one place. Um, if you're on the road a lot, you might not want to continue. If you have a data cap with your iPhone and you find it that it uses up too much data to download things. Um, Oh, it really depends on all of the different use cases that one can imagine. And, and I think that the, the standard use case of someone with a, an average-sized music library, um, a Mac or two, an iPad, an iPhone, that, that's a no-brainer. 25 bucks a year is what? The cost of two and a half albums on the iTunes store. Um, this makes it so much easier to have that music all over the place that it's – it's just it's it's cheap enough that it's just an impulse purchase. I think. Um, on the other hand, I really really want to be able to put my iTunes library, my full iTunes library, onto iTunes Match. So come on, Apple, give us more tracks, give us a hundred thousand, and I'll be happy. Make make it a little bit more expensive or whatever. But you know, there are some of us who want that ability to have all this music in one place um, and have more than the twenty five thousand tracks. Uh, and one question that's a little off topic, but Kirk, I don't get to talk to you very often. And so I know you're a great lover of classical music. How is the iTunes store treating you in that regard? Um, the iTunes store is doing surprisingly well as far as classical music is concerned. Um, I think it was about eight years ago that they really started developing the classical music section of the iTunes. And, and I know the person who set up and managed um, the classical part of the iTunes store for six years, um, who since moved on to, to work for a classical label. Um, they've got all of the releases from the major labels, and they've got most of the important independent classical labels because – I'd say roughly about half of what's important in classical music is released on small independent labels. Um, the majors have much less influence in classical than they, they may do in other genres. Um, you can find a lot of stuff there. It's easy to get. Um, it's not always easy to search for because you've got composers and work names and, and the name of a work could be in an original language or in English and, and you've got multiple artists and all that. But when you look at the classical music page in the iTunes store, most of the major new releases are visible. And it's taken a few years to get to that point. In the beginning, you didn't really get that much. But now it's gotten to the point where it's you know, it's it's the go-to place to get classical music for, and, and this is an important point, for single CDs 
and for new releases. And I stress single CDs because the classical market is very different from the sort of rock and pop market where you get a lot of box sets that can range from a half a dozen to 50 CDs that are sold really, really cheaply. I mean, I just bought a set of all of Glenn Gould's Bach recordings. I think there are 50 CDs and six DVDs. And in the States, it sells Mm. for about $100, which, you know, this is less than two bucks a disc. Um, But the iTunes store doesn't sell any of these box sets. So us classical fans end up ripping a heck of a lot of CDs, um, whereas you can imagine that these labels would be really happy to sell these box sets at similar prices to what it costs for the plastic. Okay. So is there... Are there a couple of artists or recordings that, like the Beatles in the pop world, are missing? So it's just this huge gaping hole that everyone's waiting for. Um, you know, it's hard to. I I can't really answer that. I'm sure there are artists that aren't there, but I don't think classical artists have the same sway as far as where their records are released. I've never actually heard anyone say well this particular cd isn't there this particular artist isn't there um the artists don't own the music because they don't compose it remember that you know with with you two or 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 frank zappa who's just on the itunes store you know you've got the, the the songwriting rights as well as the performance rights um and that's different in classical so no i i don't see that as a problem um there are certainly some labels that aren't there and that won't sell there just as i'm sure you've seen certain labels aren't on the streaming services um but for the most part i think you know the the classical music market the, the classical music buyer is slightly older um than people who buy Britney Spears or whatever by, you know, several decades. And the buyers were a lot slower to get into digital music. Now, I hang out in a lot of classical music forums, and pretty much everyone is now um, fully embraced digital. So it's taken a few years, but the labels have embraced it and the buyers have embraced it. And I, I can't really think of anything that's missing. I've not seen like a major release that isn't available on the iTunes store. Uh, do the buyers accept that 256 kilobits AAC is okay to listen to, oh, or are there still God, holdouts? That's the endless debate. Oh, my God, it's not as good, but oh, no, now it has to be high resolution. And, you know, 96 kilohertz, 24 bits, because even that's not as good as vinyl. And, oh, God, it's endless. It's endless. And you know how it is. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's, I, like, it's like religious debates. Um, I, I think most of the people do accept that that's good enough, but you still get the ones who are just so obsessed by numbers, statistics, you know, like like in the old days, we used to be obsessed by processor speeds. Um, and in music, you get an awful lot of these people who are saying if it's not high resolution, you know, can't buy it. So I was going to put in my own two cents for my own neglected genre of music, which is I love movie scores. And the iTunes store is still kind of weak on that department. But that, that seems to be more of a a movie studio slash label problem because I don't think Amazon has been much better in my experience, but there are a lot of older movie scores, especially uh, that, you know, I would love to buy, but they're all still only available on CD and I'm not particularly interested in investing in, in CD in this day and age. So I would love to see uh, Apple work to broaden that a little bit, especially maybe in conjunction with the movie studios, which it already deals with for, for so many other things. It's, it's not only the movie studios. What happens is, and this, is, this was the case in classical music, and there are a lot of older classical recordings that aren't available digitally. Um, 
when a classical recording is made, the orchestra gets a certain amount of royalties. Now, when you've got an orchestra with 100 people, um, these are contracts that get extremely complicated. And most old movie scores are orchestral. They're not done on synthesizers and all that. So you've got extremely complex licensing issues. Um, I think the major labels came to an agreement not long ago for older classical recordings. Um, but I'm not sure how what the scope of that is. I know that all new recording, you know, all, all new recording contracts specify that these um, things can be sold. The digital on, rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the past, it's a mess. Um, you've got even other messes of things that may be in the public domain in one part of the world and not in another, and it gets extremely complicated. Okay, and that will wrap up our discussion of classical music, movie scores, and iTunes Match. And please check out Mackerel.com for Kirk's article, iTunes Match, one year on, where he goes into even greater detail about what iTunes Match might be. Thanks, Dan, and thanks very much, Kirk. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast. I'd like to thank Kirk McElhern, Dan Morin, and of course you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. See you around.